And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam. Hey, Zach, may the force be with you. Yeah, Nanu Nanu, right? <laughs> uh, that's that's the things that they talk about in the Trek of the Stars. <laughs> that's where Dumbledore is from, right? That's right. Yep. I think I think we definitely got that right. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> no, because he, uh, he rides on his spaceship with his very good friend, Nathan Fillion, and they're all like, blah, blah, blah. Space is bad. Aliens. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I don't know stuff, guys. We're talking about Star Trek. Yeah, this is a Star Trek podcast now. So um, set your phasers to stun. Uh, make sure your shirt is not red. And... Uh, you know, get ready to yell at Wesley. So we're we're gonna get down in into it. Cause... You have now you have now eclipsed all of my Star Trek knowledge. <laughs> yeah, Zach. All right. So how in the world have you avoided? Like, what have you seen? You you said in the last episode that you've seen the J.J. Abrams movies. Yeah, I've seen the three movies that have came out in the last little bit. Okay. I've seen Galaxy Quest. Yeah, and that's I... not a Star Trek movie. <laughs> it's close. And I live in a world where cultural osmosis is a thing. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. That's my Star Trek knowledge. Uh, well, that's I I want to be clear. I don't want to paint myself as a Star Trek expert. Um, a I Trekkie. They call no. themselves that. Yeah, I, I did grow up with uh, an honest to God, um, like not really like a Trekkie as in like wanted to hunt William Shatner down at a convention in a Star Trek uh, uniform. But my mother was like really into Star Trek. Um, so, you know, she had obsessively watched the original series. And then when next generation came in, that was like a point in viewing. We, we all watched it. Um, so I've seen all of TNG, all of D deep space nine. I think I watched the majority of Voyager. Um, I don't think I've ever actually watched the entire original series, but I've seen all of the original movies and I've seen all, I think I've seen every single Star Trek movie that's come out. So I think some of that is helpful. Some of it with what we're going to deal with today, but do you have any Star Trek questions that I can answer before we get into this, Zach? I got so many questions. Yeah. I've got so many questions and I think we'll get to it, but one of them is why does Star Trek Cyclops not have his Cyclops visor on? Why is Whoopi Goldberg not in this issue? And <laughs> why why is Professor X not bald and also a space captain? Ah, well, you're jumping to the next generation. I think are we going to start we should, with? We should probably start the other way. You want to start with the uh, with the original season? Well, then... I I do want to start with uh, thinking. Uh, Jamie Lovett from Patreon, who yes. went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, he threw in a couple of dollars and said, guys, you're going to talk about Star Trek. And I said, <laughs> darn, I don't know that. I don't know that. I've I've picked up some jokes from uh, from the Internet. I 
have tried to figure it out. I know Klingon is a thing. But as lost as Adam was when Vita and I were talking about Magic the Gathering last week, <laughs> I will be lost at any time that Adam brings up interesting facts about Romulus. All right. Well, I just to be clear, like I'm not this encyclopedia of knowledge about this, but I do know who the characters are, um, which I think what's wild about the the two Star Trek stories that we're going to cover today is you actually have to know something about Star Trek and X-Men to understand these stories. Like this is uh, this is some interesting stuff. It's um, a nuts crossover because the first one is just called Star Trek slash X-Men. Um, and before we get into the story, can we just talk about the fact that this is like a tri-studio joint here? This is Marvel it's presents Paramount Comics. And because Silvestri and some of his team are involved in the illustration, this was also produced by Top Cow Productions. That's nuts. It's crazy. Um, so a lot have... of work went into making this not great comic. <laughs> Um, well, I will go to bat for the first half of this issue um, that features some really fun illustrations by our one of our favorite X-Men artists, Mark Silvestri. But uh, it, it does devolve at a certain point when uh, the rest of the team comes on. Com comes on. And that team is uh, on art, Mark Silvestri, Billy Tan, Anthony Wynn, and David Finch. Mm -hmm. And uh, on writing the whole thing is professional comic book writer Scott Lobdell. That is right. Um, and Scott must know uh, at least a little bit about Star Trek original uh, flavor because this story is based around um, the pilot of the original Star Trek series. And the villain of that episode, which was one of Captain Kirk's close friends, a man named Gary Mitchell, who, because of the mutation powers of this planet that gets revisited in this uh, issue, basically becomes the equivalent of a god um, on a on a planet. Uh, and if you really want to get a sense of what original Star Trek is like, go back and watch the fight scene between uh, William Shatner's Captain Kirk and Gary Mitchell. It is really wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Uh, here's what I know about this. Yeah. This comic starts off with Gladiator punching the USS Enterprise. Heck yeah, it does. <laughs> and then Spock, who I know is the pointy-eared one played by Leonard Nimoy, says, uh, live long and prosper. He can't talk in space. Why is he doing that? Well, there's a couple things that happen in this book that uh, defy the laws of physics, um, which you know, <laughs> seem a little strange, but essentially wh what's our plot line here? Um, because why, why is gladiator punching the enterprise? Uh, because the she, some Shi'ar ship, uh, led by Deathbird, broke through a rift in space, yep. ended up in star Trek times mm -hmm. and the X-Men followed them. Well, this is a time honored trope, uh, in star Trek that there are rifts and there are, you know, clouds that flow through like uh if you ever watch star trek generations this is how captain kirk got to team up with jean-luc picard um so i don't know if this is the same exact kind of element but uh this is something that does happen periodically in star trek where time kind of overlaps um and that that seems to be what's happening here because we get the original brand star trek characters crossing over with the 90s x-men 
<laughs> okay, so let me let me say this. If I didn't know anything about Star Trek, which I don't, here are the characters that I would think are in Star Trek. Okay. I would think Captain Kirk is in Star Trek. Yeah. I would think Spock is in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I would think Hank McCoy is in, or whatever, yeah, is in Star Trek. That's his name, right? Dr. Hank McCoy? Yeah, Bones. Sure. <laughs> and that's it. Now, I'm led to believe that there is a Sulu involved somewhere. There is an Ahura. There yeah. is uh, a Russian guy. And there's a Scottish guy. I know they exist, but I don't beam, think they did anything in this Complete comic. this phrase. Beam me up. Scotty. You got it. All right. So you know more than you think you do, buddy. I think I got that one from Spaceballs. <laughs> um. So the X-Men are kind of stranded on the Enterprise. Gambit is injured for some reason, uh, which is basically just an excuse to get him to the med bay uh, so that the two McCoys can both react to someone saying their name. Which feels like they manufactured the entire comic around that joke. And look, <laughs> it's a good joke. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, so the, I really do enjoy the first half of this comic book where these these two teams are sort of interacting. We're seeing the universes overlap. Um, it goes pretty off the rails about halfway through it, though, as the illustrator changes and we get introduced to the fact that Gary Mitchell is the villain of this story, and he has teamed up with none other than the shot into space Proteus. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, here's the thing. This comic is canon for reasons we will get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, the comic insists that it's canon, and I can't argue with it. Uh, it did it, not me. Last time I remember Proteus in canon, he committed suicide in Kings of Pain. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how he's back, and I don't know how he's in space. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that this really makes a lot of sense. There's uh, a face-off. We get Jean Grey kind of battling inside Gary Mitchell's head uh, with Also, Proteus. all of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard are there. Yeah, yep. Um, and and then, Deathbird, who's making out with Gary. Uh, <laughs> that's extra weird. Um, also weird is that this story culminates with Bishop um, standing on the outside of the Enterprise, um, absorbing the energy of the psionic rift to help solve the timeline crisis am i am i looking at this page correctly i think is this before or after everyone shoots all of their lasers and powers at gary mitchell slash proteus and wolverine stands there with his claws outstretched not stabbing him just near him yeah that 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 happens right before that so there's phasers there's yeah and wolverine's got his bone claws just he's ready to ready to stab just stand there though man (laughs) He's doing one of those virtual office high fives. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it is rather amusing that they wrap this up with Bishop standing outside of the Enterprise. And I have no idea how that's uh, supposed to actually be happening. Um, Star Trek's Trek's not based on science, right? Like, it's just all made up and no one gets really particular about that, right? So this could happen. 
Um, I think you might be looking at a different genre. I mean, it's not that non-scientific things don't happen in Star Trek. It's just that you don't normally just take a walk outside the Enterprise without yeah. a spacesuit on. It's all space wizards. I get it. <laughs> so this is absolutely bonkers. Um, you you would probably to get the most enjoyment out of this need to be both an X-Men and a Star Trek fan. And yet it's, it's dense. Like I just, for something that is maybe supposed to be a, Hey, check out these two kinds of, um, of, of IP. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's yeah. like, Oh, I don't know if I like Star Trek. I don't know if I like X-Men. What is this? There's some crossovers that are meant to get you as a fan of one IP to experience a different one and maybe become a fan of that. Yeah. Those are called good crossovers. Mm. Uh, then there's this, which has the potential to be good, but you essentially have to be in the center of that Venn diagram of X-Men fan and Star Trek, uh, the original series fan. And yes, that Venn diagram is not the tiniest thing in the world. But you do got to be in it. And I tell you what, I'm I'm not. So I have no idea. It's not great. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed, as I said, the first half of this, mainly because it was really fun seeing Sylvester take on, um, you know, these celebrity likenesses of the Star Trek cast and seeing the characters interact and meet for the first time. Once they actually have to go on an adventure together, and there's this whole bit about Proteus and Gary Mitchell. It just does. I, it, it didn't really do much for me. Um, I wasn't I wasn't feeling it so much. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a look at our list because we yeah. have 204 stories on our big old list. Holy cow. Where we're ranking every X-Men story ever from best to worst. Uh, the first one is Days of Future Past followed by Astonishing X-Men Gifted and God Loves Man Kills down near the bottom of our lists we've got uh the crossover witchblade wolverine we've got nyx we've got phoenix legacy of fire and we've got the draco hmm. better than witchblade wolverine for sure oh sure yeah i mean this this isn't nearly as like substanceless i i think there's actually some fun here to be had it, it's there is. a there's good know, goose it, especially if you are, you know, a Star Trek fan, you, you may get a kick out of seeing this, um, but it, it doesn't have staying power. Um, I will say that it has a beginning, middle and end. So it may be better than Shatterstar Saga at 194. Is it better than Wildcats X-Men at 185? Ooh, I don't think so. No, I think that had better highlights than this. Well, here's what I'd say. Okay. I enjoyed this more than the Captain Marvel uh, mm. stuff that we talked about recently, which is just right below that at 186. I would agree. So is this our new 186, Zach? I think that our new number 186 is Star Trek X-Men. Yeah. And you know what's absolutely zany about this is that they didn't do this just once. <laughs> <laughs> they decided to do this again and the second time they do it it might be even more convoluted than the first time they did it you know they did it again after this right well there's a novel after this right yes here's the thing here's what i've learned about uh star trek the next generation 
X-Men, uh, written by Dan Abnett and Ian Edgerton, uh, with pencils by Carrie Norton and inks by Scott Koblish. This takes place at a very specific time in X-Men continuity, before uh, Onslaught, immediately after the film Star Trek First Contact, which I have not read, seen. Um, just a quick recommendation. Um, the most of the next generation films are, are not that great. Um, okay. if, if you're going to just watch one, watch first contact that, that to me is the best one and star Trek fans, you may disagree. Um, but I, I think that's usually the one that's considered the highlight. Um, so it is, is that the one with the yes and Vogue? Um, it is the one that involves Borg, uh, and it involves a time travel plot to back when the Federation of Planets was begun um, because they're, you know, it's the first space launch to meet alien first contact. So it's, it's sort of the beginning of the, the Federation that Star Trek is based around. Um, and Star Wild Trek stuff. Yeah. It, and it's, it's really fun. It's a really good Star Trek movie. Um, but what's interesting about this is that because this comic book, which is, does this, this is called what second second contact second X? contact yes yeah um this as you mentioned takes place moments it makes a point of saying this uh moments after that film we're seeing some versions of the characters that are not the recognizable versions from the show yeah Data... uh, reading yeah, rainbow does not have his reading rainbow visor no, because, um, you know, in the movie, they have a different way for him to to see um, data is like the beginning of this missing a part of his head um, because he had been assimilated into the Borg as part of this storyline in the movie. The Borg or just correctly. the phalanx, right? Um, yeah, pretty much. They Got assimilate it. wherever they go. You know, they they just become everything has to become the Borg. Um also, if you're only going to watch one or two episodes of The Next Generation, go back and watch the original crossover for between the seasons, the cliffhanger of the Borg. That's that's probably the best where Jean-Luc Picard becomes uh, a Borg. That's a lot of fun. So this is weird. Um, our basic plot here involves the Next Generation cast ending up in the Marvel Universe. Um, Right? Yeah. 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 They hang out at the expansion for a little bit. Yeah. Um, they're kind of poking around. So it's kind of a reverse scenario. Instead of the X-Men ending up on the Enterprise, the Star Trek crew ends up in uh, the X-Mansion. There's some interactions. Um, Data basically like throws Colossus across a room. Yeah. I assume Data is very strong and a robot. Yeah, he's, uh, he's he's like an android, basically. Um, okay. Yeah, but then things get really complicated because um, obviously we're on two different timelines here and who should show up but everybody's favorite time jumbler, um, Kang, the Conqueror. Yep, Kang's in this one. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if, if they wanted to up the complexity level, they sure do, because what Kang does is he sends three groups of these team-ups into three different timelines, and it all turns out to be a trick. Yeah, like, time is uh, crashing in on the X-Men in the Star Trek, Star Trekkers. Mm -hmm. um, they do a Days of Future Past, 
but That's instead right. of Rachel, it's a character named Tasha Yar, who I have found out had a ton of lesbian subtext on the show, apparently. And that seems oddly appropriate for her to be weeping over Kitty Pride and trying to send her back into the past. Like, they were laying that on pretty thick. Well, also, Tasha Yar is kind of... Well, all right, there's two characters here that serve a very similar purpose in this issue. Um, John Proudstar is also featured um, as oh, part yeah. of... Uh, Captain Cisco, which is, you know, a reference to Deep Space Nine's cast. Uh, and so Tasha Yar kind of fills a very similar role in Star Trek Next Generation to John Proudstar. He, she was obviously a lot more developed as a character, but mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very similar scenario where she, her ghost kind of like haunts the team for years and years. So we, we get to see both of those dynamics. And then this thing just gets like even more complicated because they bring back a plot line from the show that involved Wesley, um, who was not really many people's favorite characters. Was it's, he the child? Uh, was he the he, spaceship he was, child? He was the kid who was an ensign on the on the deck. Um, but he had gone off with another character called the Traveler, and they're sort of like floating through time. So they come back and they're like, "Yeah, that Kang guy is full of crud." <laughs> you need to get everybody back here um, so that we can, you know, figure this out for real. This is as convoluted as a crossover could possibly get. I felt like there were a lot of references that I just did not understand. And it was, I was trying, I was honestly trying to say, okay, can I understand what they're going for based on the X-Men half of this? And I kind of got it, but in a very real way, I did not. Yeah, I think that's understandable. Like if the last one, all you had to do was do a Google search about who Gary Mitchell was, there's a lot more Star Trek stuff in this particular book. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on in it. And wow, this is well, continuity rich. Not to mention that after like 60 pages of content, it's not over. <laughs> There's no real ending because it ends on a sort of like flash of white and to oh. be continued in the novel. I looked at this up. I looked at this up. Uh, the novel is Star Trek slash X-Men Prisoner X. I have yet to read it. I'm very excited because the X-Men novels are wild. Uh, Did you just say Prisoner X? Prisoner X. Uh, Isn't it called Planet, Planet X? X. Pla okay. I'll be honest. In, in our chat, I am looking. I am looking at a picture of the cover of Prisoner X. <laughs> because it's one of the last things we sent in our chat. That's, that's okay. Uh, yes, Planet X, where there is a part where uh, Captain John Lickard gets horny for Storm, as one does. And Wolverine talks to Whoopi Goldberg and fights the wharf. And, uh, oh yeah, everyone comments on how similar Professor X and Jean-Luc Picard look before the movie came out. So this was just fan casting. <laughs> yeah another funny thing that i saw here was classically in star trek you don't want to be what's called a red shirt those are the random security personnel who get sent down to the planet with the main characters and inevitably get zapped by whatever alien is down there and it's my understanding that they named three red shirts after jack kirby stanley and Steve Ditko in that book, which is, I know they're trying to like honor Marvel comics history, but like, that's a really messed up thing to do. 
Guys, I think this novel might be great. Uh, I'm going to get a hold of it, and I will report back, uh, mostly with confusion. I have several X-Men novels to read still. Yeah, I'm not going to be pursuing that, and based almost entirely (laughs) on the fact that this comic book, it's work, you know? It's a lot, and uh, it's, it's kind of funny, because I think this edition also came with a bunch of preview pages of other you know, Star Trek material. Yeah, and I didn't read those. No, I but those real hard. Right. Like if if you were trying to get people to like buy into your new like Paramount Comics, here's our Star Trek lineup. This is the story that you went with. It's pretty heavy. Um, it's just, you know, there's so much. Yeah. There's so much to this. And guys, just. Please stop being so confusing, comic books. I don't understand you. And, like, people expect me to. So this is definitely not as good as, uh, and I know that we just ranked it kind of low, but the uh, this is not as good as the original uh, Star Trek X-Men crossover. So, uh, no, wait, this is not as good as that? Yeah, I, I, I think this is bad. This is worse. I thought this was better. <laughs> oh, really? I thought the concept of the Borg Sentinels was fun. Okay. I I liked this one more. This is not how I thought this was going to go. Oh, okay. Can I? All right. Here's, here's I where know. my... I'm listening to this. This is great. Yeah, here's, here's where my brain is on this, okay? If, if you're talking about a successful crossover that, you know like is at least a little bit accessible least the original star trek x-men crossover like it's not asking you to lift too much here added bonus the first half of the book is illustrated by sylvestri now this book this this uh next generation thing it's asking you to do some like pretty heavy continuity lifting um and it does have some cool concepts in it but it's not delivering i think like you just mentioned some things that happen in the novel. I'd love to see Worf go up against Wolverine. You know? I feel like I feel like knowing Worf as a concept from TV tropes and knowing Wolverine, that's just what the people wanted to see, right? Like that's all that's all they wanted. Yeah. I think if I'm picking this up as a next generation fan and as an X-Men fan, I'm certainly not expecting to get 60 pages of Kang the Conqueror sending these guys into random universes just so Wesley can tell you that it's not a real like that's not what's supposed to be happening. I I, I mean, it's so convoluted and it's so unnecessarily dense that I, I just I don't know. I don't think it's as good. Well, let me ask this then. Yeah. Is it better than the Marvel manga verse X-Men? Yes. I think it's also better than Captain Marvel two and three, which is a bad comic. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, So maybe my ceiling is the other Star Trek X-Men crossover. I'm not that invested in this conversation. (laughs) I think it's fine that this can be our new number 187 Star Trek The Next Generation slash X-Men Second Contact, which is like a double pun, which is kind of good. Yeah like that um okay now we did say we were not going to talk about the novel so what the heck is our third story here uh i know that vulcan is a planet in star trek 
<laughs> and I know that Vulcan is a bad X-Man character. And once he was king of space. So we talked about one of those. Uh, this is, if we're going to just stay in convoluted land, this is in the middle of Dan Abnett and uh, Andy Lanning's uh, giant spanning uh, story about from, you know, Annihilation to the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy and Nova and all that stuff. This is right in the middle of it. This mm -hmm. is X-Men Kingbreaker, uh, written by Chris Yost with art by Dustin Weaver. Yeah. Adam? Yeah. You've not read the DNA Cosmic Marvel saga, correct? Dude, I have no idea what's going on here. Great. <laughs> like, you're Great. clueless about Star Trek. This was like, what? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so I picked a story that is in the middle of like four other stories. Mm -hmm. So let's do a Vulcan recap. Please. Also, the reason why we didn't pick like Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire, everybody, is because that's like 12 issues long and I didn't want to read that. We we had also toyed around with um, a random issue of Sensational She-Hulk, but it, it was very slight on the X-Men stuff. So it was actually a lot it. of very dumb, bad jokes from Peter David. Yeah. And I just they weren't they weren't as interesting as you think they might have been. Technically, the people from Star Trek make a cameo, but yeah, it was rough. Anyway, so uh, we all know Vulcan at the end of Deadly Genesis said, screw you guys, I'm going away and flew off to his home planet. Mm -hmm. uh, well, in Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire, that goes badly for everybody. He resurrects the Mad Emperor to Ken, then murders him and becomes Emperor of the uh, Shi'ar uh, and murders Corsair and does a lot of other bad things uh hooks up with deathbird and just decides to be a megalomaniacal monster like whatever ambiguity and characterization vulcan may have had in deadly genesis and he there lost. wasn't much <laughs> he lost all of it during rise and fall of the shiar empire uh which was also written by brubaker which was wild uh, but that's not what we're talking about here anyway yeah. The Shi'ar do bad things. Uh, Havoc, and, Havoc decides to keep the Star Jammers going along with Rachel and Polaris. Mm -hmm. uh, and they just Star Jammed. Uh, they fought the Emkron. You know the Emkron crystal? I do. It was named after some aliens. Uh, okay. And they came back from, you know, Reaper space or whatever it is. And Vulcan had to stop them and became a hero and then started taking over a ton of planets. And anyway, it was all just a rough time and Havoc got put in prison. Yes. And so did like Chiod and uh, Raza. Anyway, now the Star Jammers are like, what do we do next? And this is what they do next. Yeah. So we've got, you know, Vulcan on his galaxy spanning, destroy everything, you know, intergalactic uh, Star Wars prequels. Um, council gonna burn you down. Um, okay, no, no, hold on, 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 hold on. Because I do know me some Star Wars. Yeah. Star Trek, whatever. But I don't think we noticed. I made a reference to expanded universe Star Wars crap earlier in this episode, and I probably pronounced it wrong, but guys, who cares? Because uh, I know some Star Wars. The Star Wars prequels were bad. 
they were not. I am a maniacal tyrant from like a serial and I am going to destroy you. If anything, their villains were actually very intentionally subtle. George Lucas's writing was not, but they <laughs> spent most of their time like in shadows and hiding and playing very boring political games. To be clear, I'm just referencing the sort of galactic council that's in this that looks like the same visual as what we saw in episodes one, two, and three. Um, that is true. They, yes. they they do essentially sit in the Senate. The, the uh, rest of this Star bears no similarity to Star Wars whatsoever. It is uh, it is a space war. It is a Star War. Um, and There's we, also we, some tracking involved. Yes. They go from planet to planet. There sure is. They boldly go. Um, <laughs> but we get four four issues of uh, conquest and rebellion. We have uh, Lalandra leading, I guess, the remnants of Havoc's Star Jammers, right? Yeah, her and uh, Corvus. Corvus yes. Rookshiar? You know mm -hmm. about Corvus Rookshiar? I, I don't know. Phoenix sword? I don't know who he is or what a Phoenix sword is, but I was just going with it. It's a sword that in the past fought the Phoenix and has a small bit of Phoenix energy uh, tied to it. Okay. He's also making out with Rachel uh, this yes. entire crossover. Yes. They uh, are they're, buddies. They're, they sure are, which <laughs> considering Rachel's relationship with the Phoenix is... Not something you want to overthink because it just gets weird. <laughs> well, and to to add to um, to Vulcan's arsenal, he ha amasses this like insane team of uh, like killers. One of which is a Venom. Um, one of which is a Star. <laughs> right, and uh, there's also um, uh, Gladiator's cousin, um, who's basically another Gladiator. Yeah, and, she's girl gladiator. Yeah, and uh, they're just total world beaters here. So it's basically Havoc, Polaris, uh, Chad, Raza, uh, Rachel, Lalandra, and what was that guy's name? Corvus? Corvus Rookshiar. Against, against that, like, battalion of weirdos. Uh, and they just kind of fight? Yeah. And they win. Havoc's in prison in, on a, in, underwater in a planet of water. Mm -hmm. It is pretty cool that he has been slowly, every time they open up the slot to feed him his food, he absorbs the tiny amount of light and bides his time until he has enough that he can Havoc Vulcan in the face. I really love that. I thought that was really cool. That's actually... Um, dope as all get out it's also yeah. very dope in the big fight at the end where havoc absorbs the star person mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's like i'm gonna punch you in the face with one of your own dudes <laughs> um and he's basically ready to kill vulcan um but uh doesn't Look, kind of fair at this point <laughs> uh absolutely given given his uh tyrannical actions uh, but this is still just a lead in to War of Kings. So, of course, Vulcan does make it out alive um, with his beautiful face scar. And uh, Ronan the Accuser is we wrap up with him visiting the Inhumans. And that, that's how this all wraps up. Ronan and Crystal get buried at the beginning of War of Kings. Actually, War of Kings kind of rules. Uh, the, the Shi'ar fight the uh, fight the Kree. 
but the Shi'ar are led by Vulcan, and the Kree are led by the Inhumans, and the X-Men have to fight them, and the Guardians of the Galaxy are there, but the Shi'ar have a secret weapon, and that's Darkhawk. You remember Darkhawk from the 90s? Oh, yeah. Uh, turns out Darkhawk is actually from the Fraternity of Raptors, which is a cult that ships some Shi'ar stuff. It's it's very good Marvel comics. Well, I I didn't hate this. I think the artwork by Dustin Weaver is uh, is relatively solid. Um, you yeah, know, Dustin Weaver, good. Dustin very, Weaver, real good. Yeah, really good. Um, lots of kind of fun action sequences here. Um, and I mean, you know, I don't think a, a tremendous amount happens here. But if you're looking for build up to a giant crossover, you could do worse than these four issues. Yeah, this is a this is a good bridging story that keeps up what I think is an interesting but underused concept uh, of the Starjammers relevant mm -hmm. in this uh, big galactic war. Uh, it does grind my gears that the Guardians of the Galaxy are what the Starjammers should have been mm. like. Like, not the old, crusty, no one cares about them Guardians of the Galaxy, but the one that, like, my kid knows about? Yeah. Like, why is Chiod not Groot? I don't, I don't understand. Do you say, why do you say Chiod? Isn't it like C-H comma O-D? Yeah, but where do you get the Chi? Chiod. I don't I was, know. I always just say Chad. Chad. <laughs> I feel like you, I feel like the... It's because the comma is not an accent. It's like a break or potentially like a click, like, oh, ooh, I like that, too. All right. Yeah. So we're, we're we're probably both wrong and someone will <laughs> criticize us about it. So I do I do 100 percent agree um, that it would be. I mean, obviously, you know, today, I think as we're recording this, uh, the 21st century Fox merger uh, finally got the. Uh, the acquisition got finalized by Disney. Um, so yeah, it would be great to see the star jammers instead of uh, whatever guardians of the galaxy is. Um, I don't know. I, I also, while I was reading this, I couldn't help but think I just saw captain Marvel over the weekend. And yes. um, you know, I didn't, I mean, I'm, I have to be a little bit of a bummer. I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. I didn't actually love it as much as I wanted to. Either. Yeah. Like I went in with really high expectations and found it, you know, trying to kind of do a lot um i thought it had and, really strong acting but the script wasn't as tight as it needed to yes, yes. if if this movie came out eight years ago if this movie came out right? after iron man 2 it would be incredibly beloved but yes. they they tried to go back to something that i feel like marvel cinematic universe movies have moved away from and well, and it's interesting because where I started to like it, it won me over by the end because yeah, by oh, the, end, the end's way better than the beginning. Yeah, we're, we're on like, you know, full on like blow up spaceships time at the end of that. And I couldn't help but think about that as I was reading this is that, you know, we are going to get to the point where, you know, we may see our characters do things like we see here in, in this Kingbreaker uh, mini. But, um, you know, I, I just couldn't help but make the comparison since it was in my head. Well, here, here's one thing uh, Captain Marvel has going for it. Uh, Vulcan's not in it. Vulcan um, is not in it. Vulcan uh, sucks. Oh, I hate him so much. Here's who likes Vulcan? 
I, I just I don't, know. don't know. Another thing that kept going through my mind as I was reading this is how cool it would have been if Adam X the Extreme was in Vulcan's place. I don't know if that would work or if that would be the stupidest thing ever, but it just out of like random curiosity, I would love to see that. <laughs> I have so many thoughts about Adam X the Extreme being a space boy. Yes. Like, him and lifeguard and slipstream who are all <laughs> technically garbage characters i love you guys uh garbage characters connected to the shiar royalty have them all do stuff yes have them raise a deathbird's kid that she definitely was impregnated by vulcan with Ooh. oh that's a thing yeah uh summer's family tree is wild guys wasn't that a uh adjectiveless excellent x-men plotline uh didn't I they follow up on that with the okay old, old, that was old that was the team? guggenheim part of adjectiveless i didn't read or i read it i don't remember a dang thing from it hmm okay i'm gonna go back i remember the first later. arc of adjectiveless and it being great and everything else being kind of garbage well we on our list uh, the G Willow Wilson stuff's fine. I'm sorry guys, we're not talking about that. Adam, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. Uh, we have where is Deadly Genesis on our list? Deadly Genesis is at 163. 163. I think this is better than Deadly Genesis. I think so too. A lot of action-packed fun here. I think Havoc is a lot of fun here. Um as are the other star jammers that are in this story. So it kind of overrules the, you know, stupid Vulcan character. What I what I think my ceiling is, is 145 Astonishing X-Men Exalted, mm. which is another midstream setup story that nothing much happens, but isn't bad. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, right below that is Into the Void um which is like another avoid more <laughs> another space-based uncanny story i i like that better too i don't even have the nostalgia for it i just kind of like it better yeah um is it better than uh is it better than extinction agenda at 155 well i'd say the art is more consistent i mean it doesn't have that like peak early jim lee in it but i i don't know like I think when we talked about extinction, it was hard to talk about it without really dumping on how bad the art was for big chunks of it. Um, and I think the art is pretty tight on this. Yeah. Dustin Weaver. Good. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's better than at 156. We have X campus. Um, and I think this was, this was more fun than that. You know, this was, this was action packed and, and had, you know, some honest to God space adventure fun stuff in it. I agree uh what about what about spider-man versus wolverine better or worse i like this better okay uh i think i think my ceiling though would be the quanin story in mm. x-men 20 through 23 yeah i think I that's think, fair i think that's that's where i i draw my line okay uh, which puts x-men king breaker which no kings actually get broken in this that's not true he steps on that one guy's head Oh, yeah. Okay, wait, was he a king? Yeah, he was. I forget what race. It doesn't matter. <laughs> one king did get broken. The it's not the one you thought. The yes, Zanox? that's right. It was the Xenox. <laughs> that's right. I remember I was trying to think earlier. I was like, shoot, there was like a weird continuity thing in here. It was the Xenox, the people that Scott Severs blasted all the love of the world into and stopped their invasion of Earth once. Nice. 
This is our new number 151. Uh, it's X-Men Kingbreaker. And that is our entire episode, Adam. We did it. Sweet. And I, I know we got a little far from the, the Star Trek. We, we boldly went somewhere else, but um, <laughs> I'm glad we did. I, it gave a little bit of variety to what we were doing. I feel so learned in the ways of uh, Gene Roddenberry and Patrick Stewart. So hey, I really there's lots of places to stream Star Trek and, and listeners, if you've never done it, um, I, uh, next generation is great. You know, you know, you could probably skip the first season of it, but it's a great show. So if you ever get a chance, you're into sci-fi, you'll probably like it. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've thought about it, but look, I already got X-Men. <laughs> there's already still X-Men stories. I haven't read. And Star Trek is a lot, and I'd have to watch it with my wife. And she actually did grow up watching syndication of uh, Next Generation with her dad. There you go. But I don't know how much we want to commit our evenings to rewatch or watching Star Trek The Next Generation. I, I have the similar rule, like anything that's like above, what is it, like five or six seasons, and I have to binge it. I, I just find a hard time making that commitment. I know that's bad, but. Especially, I, I know the first season's kind of supposed to blow. Yeah, it's, so, it's not that great. Uh, Anywho. Anyway, we'll see. Jamie, thank you so much for going over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and suggesting it. We had a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts, and I'm pretty sure there's some Star trek people who are not happy with me. And they, <laughs> yeah, Adam, you tell him. You uh, you show him what's up about this. Well, um, hey, guys, just, just live long and prosper, and uh, we're all going to be okay. We are all going to be all right. Uh, if you want to be all right like Jamie, you can go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. At the $2 a month level, uh, we'll build an episode around you. You can make us talk about whatever you want uh, within reason. And that reason is related to X-Men. So kind of a wide gambit of opportunities there, including gambit-based stories. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also uh, bid at higher levels and get more stuff. Uh, or at lower levels, you can get access to like early previews of what we're reading, so you can read along with us and know what we're talking about on some of these stories a bit more than we explain, or like the monthly uh, Q&A sessions that I do live. Uh, you can get access to all that stuff, and it's great. Uh, or don't, and it's cool, and the podcast will still be super free and super awesome for all of you guys, because we have fun doing it. Uh, you can find me online at xavierfiles.com. It's a website. It has stuff and things. Uh, it will have just had all of the C2E2 coverage, which I'm going to be at, and I'm going to have some things, if you see me, to give to people uh, as long as I have them. Uh, they're comics. They're print comics <laughs> that I made. I just they're finished. So cool. I just finished the third page of my Wolverine one and I had to stop it there. And I'm saying, no, this comic's actually perfect at three pages. No <laughs> need to go to four. <laughs> oh my God. That's so great. It's, it's fun. Uh, and then also Xavier files on Twitter. That's the me. Nice. Uh, Adam, where can people find you online? All right, guys, you can always find me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. I uh, believe premiering today is the cover of the fifth and final issue of Bish and Jubes, which is called the Cross Time Conundrum. Uh, I want to so thank beautiful. 
Ah, I want to thank Amanda Stewart for uh, doing the colors on the on the uh, cover. I think it turned out great. You guys are going to be able to see it the time this episode goes live. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to keep up with new pages every X-Men Monday. If you guys still want a hard copy, uh, a zine edition of Attack on the Mansion, you can go to adamrec.bigcartel.com and get one for just three bucks. So I think uh, that's a show, Zach. Uh, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to talk about a handful of limited series solos from the early 90s, featuring some of the biggest characters in early 90s X-Men. It is an episode. It actually be really fun. We haven't recorded it yet because of how time works, but I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to spending more time with all of you because you know what? It's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be the highlight of my week. But until then, this has been Bow the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. (laughs) 